Hello, I'm Scott Winnale with TW Now. Immigration is a hot topic in the news, one that evokes much emotion. Immigration issues are a powerful source of division in Europe, the U.S., and elsewhere. A headline from last June indicated that Europe's immigration crisis is illustrating the futility that so many are feeling today, and we've got a recent headline for you to view on that. Many a politician has turned immigration into a lever to be used for political gain, while human lives hang in the balance. Many nations today rely on immigrants to support their economies, yet many citizens within these nations resist immigration because immigrants are perceived to take valuable jobs and change the prevailing culture. Is there a way out? What insights does the Bible provide with regard to immigration? Is the immigration crisis really impossible to solve? Today's returning guests will shed light onto this dark and often obscured issue. I'd like to welcome back our guest, Mr. Wyatt Saselka. He's a minister and Bible teacher. He's a former university theology faculty member and is very interested in this issue. Also, Mr. Ray Clore is joining us once again from the Washington, D.C. area. He's a longtime minister and Bible teacher, a former U.S. State Department employee who has worked in a number of different regions where immigration has been an important issue. And he's also worked directly with the issue of immigration. So, gentlemen, it's good to have you back on the program today. And it's exciting to be able to talk about this challenging issue today. By the way, if you have questions, uh, during our discussion, please feel free to message us. We'll do our best to get to your questions. Also, as we go along today, if you're motivated, please be sure to subscribe, like, or share today's program. Well, gentlemen, let's jump into the, to the program today. And Mr. Clore, let me go ahead and start with you. What are some of the pressing immigration issues that we're now hearing about in the news that are being faced in different parts of the world? Well, I think there's very many, but... Uh one that comes to mind is the continuing problem of immigration, mass immigration from Africa into the soft underbelly of Europe. Uh, the Italians, the Greeks, uh, to a certain extent the Spanish have been facing this problem for many years. And so there is a, an increasing reaction, especially in Italy, against uh, migrants coming in from Africa. Um, so th this is one of the problems that uh, at least Europe is facing that they're, they're getting this flow, this, this uncontrollable flow of people coming from Africa into Southern Europe. It, what's amazing me is also how politically divisive this issue has been for the Europeans. It seems to be just dividing nations in Europe as well. <clears throat> yes, uh, it, it, it seems to have uh, garnered a lot of political support in certain countries. Uh, I believe that uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, has been talking with uh, political leaders in Italy uh, as we come up to European Union elections, uh, I believe in May, uh, with the goal of trying to create a coalition of forces in Europe that would uh, react more strongly to illegal immigration and try to perhaps stop it at its source, perhaps even uh, take the, uh, the prevention mechanism of going to Italy and, and stopping boats from even leaving the uh, Libyan shores for southern Europe. Mr. Selka, what are you seeing? What are some other examples? You, you see a lot of causes, which I know we'll talk about. I, I want to 
come back to Europe quickly. I remember um, in researching for this topic, I was going through some new, old news articles and uh, ran across the uh, incident where there was a ship, the Aquarius, where uh, Italy refused to allow them to, full of migrants, and Italy refused to allow uh, the Aquarius to, to dock. And I remember France uh, was trying to intervene and work out something. And to me, that was just one example, a, 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 a real-life example where people were stranded on this, this ship. Um, and you had a nation, which is part of the European Union, which is a, a union of nations, who basically was saying, and I know we'll get later into causes and right and wrong and how, but basically Italy said essentially we, we can't continue to accept uh, immigrants, um, legal or not, whatever the case may be, we're just being overwhelmed. And it was interesting uh, that Brussels um, and the other European nations really stood on the sidelines during that, that episode. This was just last year, 2018, I believe, uh, other than France. Uh, France um, uh, tried to work out a, you know, a, a, a deal for the immigrants to, uh, to, to, to come. So um, anyways, a lot of um, uh, impact on the societal structure of nations, a lot of, a lot of impact and, and uh, weight on the social um, support systems, things like that, mm -hmm. um, and changing the, uh, the, even the school systems and the demographics, which we'll talk about. But um, that little incident of the Aquarius, to me, I just remember as, as a nation saying, we can't take more. Mr. Clore, where else are we seeing problems? Well, it, when it comes to uh, Europe, the Middle East, we have that continuing problem of Syrian refugees, uh, which have overwhelmed parts of Europe, especially Germany. Uh, there's millions of people who are stuck in refugee camps in Turkey, uh, about a million people in uh, Lebanon, uh, six to 800,000 people in Jordan, several hundred thousand in Iraq. So we have that continuing problem because of the Syrian civil war. And that is something that there's no easy solution because, th again, the causes, what's the cause? It's because uh, a small group, about 10% of uh, Syria is an Alawite sect, which is a small sect of Shia Islam, 90% are Sunni. So it, there's a religious-based cause for that. And the rulers in Damascus, they're not interested really in re receiving back these millions of people who are Sunnis because they are religious uh, antagonists. So, so that's another big area. And, you know, of course, we still have the problem of all the migrants coming up from Central America to the United States. But I, th I think what we're seeing is it's a worldwide phenomenon at this time. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Kluwer. I know you know Jordan well. You've spent a lot of time there. But when you talk about an influx of a million, a million and a half refugees from Syria into Jordan, a nation that itself, I don't recall the population of Jordan. It's, it's pretty small from what I'm remembering. I'm thinking 8, 10 million. It may be more than that. But you're talking about a sizable proportion of the existing local population um, being increased by a lot when you have these massive influxes of, of refugees. It's huge. It's been a huge problem for Jordan. The Jordanian people are very welcoming. Uh, Arab hospitality is well known around the world. But when you just have people, hundreds of thousands of people coming and straining the resources of, of the country. Now, of course, the United Nations and the United States also and other countries have been helping Jordan to a certain extent. But 
the idea was that this was going to be a short-term stay and then people were going to go back across the border. And as the Civil War drags on, I, I think the weight of this problem is, is weighing heavier and heavier upon the Jordanian regime. And after a while, people just get tired of, of being welcoming and, and they start seeing the problems that having so many refugees, what it brings about. Mr. Selka, as we go on, and actually both of you, but let me start with Mr. Seselka. Um, we're talking about immigration, and there really are two different kinds of immigration. And if you could just sort of very briefly, succinctly in your own words, describe the difference. What is the difference between sustained immigration, something that we've seen over millennia around the world, and what we're seeing now, and it's really causing difficulties, this mass immigration? There, um, first of all, there, there's been immigration throughout history, of course, um, but there are episodes and times in history where there has been a, a huge amount of, of migration. And um, we are starting to see that uh, in Europe right now, for example. Um, and so there is a difference between sustained immigration. Um, often sustained immigration is less um, disruptive and it's often frankly done legally um, and people are brought in and they are uh, integrated. Uh, the United States used to say that we are a melting pot and that wasn't seen as a bad thing. Um, all of us have our different family backgrounds. My family's background is Polish and Eastern European and and there's some French in there and you know just like a lot of us we have a lot of different uh, uh, ethnicities in our in our background. And so there were historically communities of Poles or, or da you know, Danish people or Germans. Um, but, but typically people were, um, in the United States, as far as the United States goes, people were coming in and they were, it was a legal sustained, um, sustained movement. Um, mass migration <clears throat> often is not legal. It's often, uh, it, it often exceeds the abilities of the, of the receiving countries to, to deal with it. Um, even if there's some type of legality to it, it exceeds the, uh, the capacity of the social system. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll mention at this point, uh, I was thinking of, of, a, of a distant historic example, the, the barbarian invasions in, during the fall of the Roman Empire. And I mentioned that on purpose to make a point to our audience that, uh, that the world has dealt with, with migration over the millennia. But the barbarian invasions changed the, the face and ethnicity of Europe and the British Isles. You had Germanic people, Slavic people, Eastern Europeans, Huns, moving around and moving into Europe. And it really changed the, the face and the ethnic diversity of Europe forever, literally forever. Are we seeing that now? And I think without continuing, people are concerned maybe we are and so forth, but are we seeing that now? Mr. Kalor, you've um, had personal experience working with immigration um, as well. But I, I just asked, would want some examples. If you could give us maybe an example, a modern day example of uh, sustained immigration that we might be seeing. And, and maybe also an, an example of, of the alternative, the other. Sure. Uh, when it comes to regular sustained immigration, uh, that kind of immigration responds to the economic, social, and spiritual needs of a nation. Um, a good example, I think, are the systems of Canada and the United Kingdom. Uh, they have a point system where they 
evaluate prospective immigrants based on their economic abilities and talents? Will they be a benefit to the nation? Do we need more computer programmers? Do we need more people with specific skills? Um, they evaluate someone if they have a health problem. Are they going to be a detriment to our health care system? Will we have to cure them of tuberculosis before they can get a job? Uh, do they have a specific talent uh, that would enrich the culture of the nation? Are they a world-famous singer or artist or scientist? Uh, and also, do, do they have some kind of spiritual uh, aspect, like the Dalai Lama? You know, might need to have refuge in, in a particular country because of persecution in, in other parts of the world. So that, that's regular and sustained immigration. Everyone's for that. Everyone's for that. But the mass migration we're seeing is, is really indiscriminate and has little regard for the good of the receiving nation. And this is what we're seeing all around the world now is that you have mass movements of people for various reasons, some of them very good reasons, but they are overwhelming the receiving nations. If I could jump in on the on that, um, you know, Europe is a is a focal point for for an immigration problem right now. And when you look at uh, listings of the most violent countries in the world, the top countries are countries where there are land bridges or uh, relatively short ocean passages. Now, dangerous ocean passages, but to Europe. So you've got the most dangerous countries. You've got Syria, Afghanistan, um, South Sudan, Iraq, Somalia, uh, Yemen, Libya. Where are these nations located? Uh, they're located south of Europe, and so you have people who are who are fleeing from uh, from persecution, from 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 incredible violence, uh, not just violence, but but famine. And then there are um, ecological uh, uh, disasters that are often the result of of war. So you have um, you have famine. Uh, so so what are some of the causes? War, persecution, risk of persecution. Uh, lack of, 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 of access to food, clean water, things, things of that nature, then where do people go? Well, if you look at this globally... Uh, Actually, hold that second. Hold that for a second. Mr. Clore, let me just ask you, can you think of any other reasons why we're seeing this mass immigration in addition to the ones that Mr. Soselka just mentioned? But we'll come back to that question. Well, I, yeah, I, I think uh, you mentioned uh, economic opportunities. That, that's a big one. Uh, safety, because people do have real fears of, of repressive regimes as well as war and, and famine. Uh, that's, that's true. Um, I think generalized feelings of crime and, and things like that. Um, if a person doesn't have an opportunity in their country, then you know, naturally they want to go somewhere else. I know years ago, if I could just have a brief personal story, sure. I was the consular officer, U.S. consular officer in Cameroon. And Cameroon didn't really have a problem of people uh, emigrating because they had enough land for the population that if anyone wanted to work, they could go into different parts of the country and they could you know, start a, a cocoa plantation or a coffee plantation or, you know, they, they had opportunities. And so people were basically pretty happy because they had economic opportunities. But in areas of the world where you don't have those economic opportunities, if a government is oppressive, if they are, are trying to, to kill you for various reasons, yes, they want to get out. Mm. Well, it sounds like even in the Cameroon, with, with the space that they had, people had the opportunity to, to not have to live in cities, uh, but to actually right. be 
in the countryside to be on land. Uh, seems like there would be, if you've got a lot of people living in cities, that would change that dynamic as well. Yes. <clears throat> so, so back to Mr. Soselka's question. You, you've got problems, you've got these underlying issues that are making people want to leave. Where are they going? Right. So again, it goes back to, to cause, but also where can you realistically immigrate to? In the Middle East, a lot of violence is, is a lot of the uh, cause, um, and they can, they can immigrate to Europe. Uh, you have an, other causes and other, other, other destinations. So in uh, Central and South America, there's a lot of violence as well, unfortunately. But you also have the United States, which is a land of opportunity, and it's a, it is a nation where you know we are very wealthy, and there's 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 an opportunity. So we are, as everybody's aware, we're seeing uh, issues uh, on the southern border of the United States where people are coming up uh, from Central and and uh, South America. Um, some of the reasons for those migrants are not exactly always the same as for the reasons for those uh, trying to flee um, Syria, Yemen, and so forth. Violence may be part of what they're trying to flee, but sometimes it's, it's also equally opportunity. Okay. Mr. Kluwer. Yeah, I, I think one thing that maybe unites many, um, many refugees and immigrants is, is the problem of corrupt governments. Uh, for instance, in Venezuela, you, you see just a complete failure of the government. Uh, they, they've taken over all the means of production. Venezuela should be one of the richest countries in South America. It has the largest proven oil reserves in the world. And yet now people are fleeing by the millions. Uh, there's hyperinflation. They are selling their bodies. They're selling anything they, they can just to make ends meet. They're overwhelming Brazil. They're overwhelming uh, neighboring countries. But the cause is primarily a corrupt government. And you can say there's corrupt governments in Central America, which don't allow people to have opportunities. You have corrupt governments in Africa and around the world. And, and again, you know, Europe and the United States, we don't have pristine, pure governments. But by comparison, uh, we have less corrupt governments. We have more respect for the rule of law and greater internal peace. So I do think the issue of corrupt governments is, is a major problem all across the world that, that causes people to move. Well, we see the same, really sort of some of the same reasons for the immigration into Europe from um, certain Middle Eastern and African nations, uh, where there's opportunity, there is much more rule of law, and there are social programs, even, that are mm -hmm. going to support you if you can make your way into these countries. Let me change gears here now, and let's, let's talk about the Bible a little bit. Because the Bible does give us some interesting insights, as you well know, into the immigration issue itself and actually some of the solutions that are going to come down the line. Two questions. Uh, one is, how does God expect immigrants to be treated? And I think we can deal with that one pretty quickly. Um, and then the second is, what are some of the solutions to these crushing mass immigration problems we're seeing today? What kind of solutions does the Bible put forth for us? The, uh, I, 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 I find it fascinating to go to the Old Testament, actually. The New Testament is full of, of uh, instruction from Jesus and the apostles about loving your enemy and so forth. But contrary to what some people 
feel the Old Testament is very clear about treating the alien among you fairly as well. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 verse 7 says the alien is not to be abhorred. Uh, Exodus 22:21 says that the, uh, the alien who lives among you is not to be oppressed or mistreated. Uh, in Leviticus 19 verse 10, we are told that uh, sympathy and generosity should be made available to the alien among you. Um, so there are I principles. I just want to jump in and just say, well, one of the reasons God says that is because God says, because you were aliens right. when you were in Egypt, and, and you shouldn't have been mistreated and weren't. Right. Um, Israel was, uh, was a foreigner in, in Egypt, and uh, Israel... Uh, Jacob migrated into Egypt, and uh, maybe we can circle back to that in a minute because I think that there's an interesting mm. principle there. But yes, Israel was a was an alien among Egypt. Well, I, I just agree. Uh, in Exodus 12, it talks about the same law for the foreigner as for the native born. Is that if, if someone has been legally admitted to Israel, you're to treat them with the same law. There's there's not to be a discrimination against those who have come legally. So I, I think that's foundational. That's, that's the golden rule, loving your neighbor as yourself. So it's very clear how God wants people to be treated. Now, if someone is an illegal alien, someone like a, a house invader, a home intruder, um, we're, we're still not to like separate mothers and children and things like that, but we should show them the door, but politely and quickly. And uh, Mr. Clore is, is really being very precise and very accurate. Um, a scripture that is misunderstood is Leviticus 19, verse 33, uh, where it talks about uh, the stranger who lives among you should be treated essentially as, as a citizen. But Leviticus 19, verse 33, and I've heard this quoted by government officials, including high-ranking government officials recently, um, the, the designation of the stranger in Leviticus 19, verse 33, is a legal, a legal immigrant. It, it, th that is the Hebrew word. It, they're a legal resident. Um, as Mr. Clore said, no, nowhere in the, uh, in the Bible does God uh, want or desire oppression or you know, having children separated from their parents. But God does expect things to be done orderly. And just like one of the causes for for migration is a failure in government, and so people flee bad government. Um, there's also the other side of the coin, so to speak, which is if a nation is receiving immigrants, then there need to be laws that protect everyone, and the immigrants need to be received in a, in a way that's legal, and not oppressive, but in a way that's legal. But um, the Old Testament and the New, but especially the Old Testament, um, is very clear about that, 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 that the legal immigrant who receives legal status um, has certain protection. Uh, I will conclude just by saying that when Israel went into Egypt, you can look it up in Genesis 47, when Israel went into Egypt, Jacob went into Egypt, they did receive legal permission from the Pharaoh. That, that, that literally happened, and they received a certain status, and I won't get into a doctoral, doctrinal discussion, but they received certain status, legal status. Anything you want to add on that, Mr. Clore? We could go forward as well and talk about um, sort of what God has to say and implications for immigration in the future. Uh, we could. I, I would just like to say between now and Christ's return, which we all know will bring solutions to many seemingly intractable problems uh, today, 
but uh, be, between now and Christ's return, what biblical principles should be followed to try to slow down and stop uh, this mass migration, which is causing so much strain? And, and I think, I mean, it's some of these things are, are sort of obvious. You should have governments that are just, that are have fair and equitable laws that makes just judgments, governments that don't overtax the people. I mean, e even when you know Joseph was there in Egypt, he didn't tax the people more than 20%. That was in a time of great prosperity. And if you look in where Samuel was talking to the people, like, you know, you want a king? You know what he's going to do? He's going to tax you 10%. And that wasn't viewed as a very, very low rate. That was viewed like, oh, that's going to be oppressive. But, you know, you, you need to have economic conditions where people will be able to prosper, where they will be able to have contracts, where they will have private property respected. Because if people have a minimal level of comfort and prosperity and, and the idea that justice will be done, they will want to stay. Getting up and moving is a traumatic experience. Most people don't do that. Only in extremists will they do that. So if governments can just change some of these basic characteristics, uh, it would really go a long way between now and Christ's return to, to alleviating this mass migration problem. Proverbs 28, verse 12 says, when the righteous rejoice, there's great glory, but when the wicked uh, rule, there's um, men hide themselves or men flee. And uh, aren't we seeing that now when there's, when there's righteous, uh, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't go, I shouldn't go as, as far as say there's a righteous government around the world, but, but, but as there are governments that are more lawful, as there are governments that, that are, are more fair and more just, then, um, then people are, are, the citizens are, are better off and their safety and so forth, as there are governments that, that, are, 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 that are victimizing their people. Uh, as Proverbs 28, 12 says, the people, they, they, they flee, they hide themselves, they, they try to escape. And we, we are seeing that, and it really goes back to government. Um, even, even in uh, Matthew 24, I, I won't get ahead of ourselves, but you, you, can, you can look at the fact that it pairs up a movement of people and nations and, and, and ethnicities at war with each other. And a few verses later, I think it's verse 11, it says lawlessness will abound. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that more and more um, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Prophecy. So it's, you know, Christ warns that you're going to have wars and rumors of wars and so forth, but he, he just inserts that lawlessness will abound. I wonder how much of that lawlessness is not just the people. I wonder how much of that lawlessness is also the governments. And so you just have this breakdown uh, in a lot of these smaller and larger nations, and then you have immigration, and you have a, you have pain and suffering, and you have you have immigration. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does seem like we're going to have a continuing and maybe even growing problem of government breakdown and mass lawlessness. Uh, but you know, I I don't want to leave our viewers with that sort of somber viewpoint. I, I'd rather jump into the millennium and just point out that there is a happy future ahead. So define millennium very quickly for us, if you would. Sure. Millennium is where when Jesus Christ returns, he will set up the kingdom of God that's been prophesied since Daniel chapter 2. If you read you know, about the, the great uh, statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And when those, those toes get, get smashed by the, the stone that was cut out without hands, that's Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is going to fill the whole earth. So Jesus Christ is going to usher in a reign of a thousand years of peace and prosperity and joy and good health on this earth. Uh, 
And one of the things that he's going to usher in is a land tenure system called the Jubilee system, where, where productive land is going to be divided among families. It will be inherited through family connections. And so that private property in families is going to be, that, that right of private property is going to be respected and honored. And people will have a, a share of the productive wealth in every nation. That's not just going to be in one nation. It's going to be over all the nations. It's going to spread through all the earth. And so everyone's going to have a time of prosperity and peace and justice and equity. And that's going to be enforced and brought about by Jesus Christ. And what's interesting and very exciting, um, there are a few references to the millennium. Revelation 20 verses 3 and 4 are two great references for our viewers. And in Revelation, Revelation 20 verse 3, uh, God tells us through, through Christ, Christ tells us, and this is recorded by John, that Satan will be bound. So Satan's put away. So the, the cause of so much of the suffering is put away. And then in verse 4, we are told that the saints will reign with Christ. There, there's reign, that, that's a government notion. That's a, a ruling, a government. Government isn't, doesn't have to be bad. So for a thousand years, the saints will rule and reign under and with Christ uh, for, you know, for, for that millennial period, for a thousand years. A time that God promises will come when Satan will be removed and there will be peace and there will be safety and, and there won't be these causes for people to have to migrate and immigrate and try to escape persecution, famine, so forth. I think that's an incredible vision to be thinking of in realizing that God's actually got a plan. Uh, it's something that mankind hasn't figured out yet, but something that God is going to deliver as a gift in a way to the populations of the earth one day. We are about out of time here, but before we go, I'd like to just ask each of you if you would leave us with a, uh, leave our audience with a parting idea or a notion, something to, to take away with them from the program today. Mr. Selkin? I'll, I'll jump in quickly and just say um, government uh, matters. Government is the answer. And there's a beautiful scripture that we talk about often, Isaiah 9, verse 7, which tells us that uh, of the increase of the peace and the increase of his government, there will be no end. And so righteous government is something that we can pray for. And we believe that 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 Jesus Christ will return to the earth and establish righteous government. We, we, we are, this is a hopeful message. The Bible is very clear about that. And it's not just doom and gloom. There is some doom and gloom now and some to come. But government is the answer. Righteous government is the answer. And Isaiah 9 verse 7 is, is just a, a hopeful scripture I leave our audience with, that there is a time coming when peace and prosperity and lawfulness and joy and a way of give will be practiced and will, according to the Bible, literally extend forever into the future. There will be no end to it. Mr. Clore, what would you like to leave our audience with? I, I think that I would like to just encourage everyone to not forget our basic common humanity in this crisis that we continue to love one another, that we continue to show kindness and mercy and care to those who are fleeing oppression, those who are fleeing economic uh, problems, those who are, who are trying to better their lives, understand that if we were in their shoes, 
we'd be probably doing the same thing. So just to love our neighbor as ourselves, and remember as Christians, we need to let our light shine and always to love one another. And of course, love God, but love our neighbor as ourselves. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the program today, for taking the time to do this. This is, honestly, I think it's been a bit of fresh air, uh, in a, quite a contrast with what I'm reading about in the news and hearing on television these emotionally charged issues. So thank you for bringing that perspective today and, and actually shedding some neat light on the, on the issue from the Bible's perspective. Thank you. Thank you. While the movement of peoples is an age-old process, mass immigration places incredible stresses on nations and resources and governments, as we've talked about today. The Bible makes clear that migrating people, all of whom were made in the image of God, should be treated kindly and respected. It also stipulates that these immigrating people should be expected to adhere to the laws of the land to which they migrate. Mass immigration poses different problems. Mass groups of people leaving their homes because of a failure of human government is a huge problem. This failure results in war and famine, in financial catastrophes, crime, violence, and more. The only way to fix the mass immigration problem is to fix the problem of government, as we've just been talking about. This world needs true, righteous government, led by Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. With his return, he's going to bring with him that perfect government and usher in a world where there will be no longer a need, as we've talked about, for mass immigration. To learn more about the type of government Jesus Christ will bring with him and the type of government necessary to end mass immigration, be sure to read our, <coughs> our article on the coming one world government by Richard Ames. You can find it at tomorrowsworld.org. There's a picture of it on the cover of that magazine. We also encourage you, if you want to find out more about answers to today's pr problems, please tune in to TW Now each week. Next week, we plan to discuss China's new Silk Road and where it will lead. And if you like what you heard today, we encourage you to subscribe, like, or share the program today.